Good morning, Sweetwater Christian Church, and uh, good morning, everyone watching online. I'm glad that you could join us in worship this morning. I'm Zane Goggins. I'm the pastor here, uh, and I'm glad to be with you to share the love and word of God with you this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to give us receptive hearts and minds this morning. So pray with me. Father, I ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that receive your love and word this morning. I pray that everything I made up would not be received, not be listened to, not heard. But Lord, I pray that everything that you are saying to us this morning would be received with gladness and joy and shape us more into the image of your son, Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. We are in the third week of Lent, um, and it's kind of hard to believe that because that means Lent is uh, basically halfway over. Uh, Palm Sunday is three weeks from today. Uh, It's also our third week in just one passage of the Bible, the the temptation of Jesus, as it's traditionally called. Um, There's more uh, recent scholarship suggests that we should call it the, the testing of Jesus because he's having his character examined in the wilderness. Um, It's not a new thing that Jesus is being tempted. Okay, he was tempted all of his life just as you and I are tempted. This isn't a novel moment in Jesus's life, but these temptations he goes through are revealing things about examining his character and his nature, testing to see what kind of Messiah he is going to be. And so we're going to look at the second temptation today, and next week we'll look at the third, and in two weeks we'll have a guest speaker, and then it's Palm Sunday. That's a minimum of a month in the wilderness with Jesus. We've been following him into the desert because that's where God takes his people in order to prepare them for great things. It's where Israel waited before moving into the promised land. It's where Jesus goes before he begins his ministry. It's where Paul goes before he begins his ministry of basically converting Europe and changing the religious landscape of the world. The desert is a place of paradox. It's a place of peril and provision. A place where we feel furthest from the presence of God, but in reality, we may actually just be closer to him than we ever have been before. God speaks clearest in a desert. God moves most dramatically in a desert, and God is often found in the desert because it's just a place where he tends to hang out. That doesn't make the desert any easier. Uh, Most of the time, actually, there's still snake bites to be felt, and there's still the haunting presence of jackals following you, waiting to eat you in case you die. It doesn't go away. The desert is a harsh place, and the presence of God may not alleviate that harshness, but what the presence of God does in the desert is it makes the desert possible for us. That's what the presence of God does in a desert. It makes the experience possible. being stripped of all the things that we rely on is hard, but the presence of God is what gives us life in the desert. 
So last week we saw uh, what that kind of practically looks like for Jesus. Uh, When Jesus goes into the desert to be tempted, tested, examined, the thing that makes him live, not the thing that keeps him alive, but the thing that keeps him, that makes him live are the words of God. The steady, ever-present, ever-before-us words of God, the same words that are preserved for you and I to read today. That is what sustained Jesus in the desert. It, it wasn't the things we think he needs, like food or shelter or water or clothing and whatever else uh, doomsday preppers put in their bunkers. Those aren't the things that make you live in the desert. Those are things that keep you alive. But if you want to live in a desert, you need a steady stream of words from the mouth of God. That's what Eugene Peterson says. If we follow Jesus into the desert... We should look at what Jesus does in the desert, and that is living on the words of God. And if you need a good resource for that, if you want to learn more about what it looks like to live off the words of God, I have a book for you in my office. Just come see me, and I'll I'll give it to you. This week, Jesus is going to undergo a different kind of temptation. You could say last week he was tempted with misusing power, using his power to satisfy his own needs and desires. And this week, Jesus will undergo another kind of temptation where although the actions of the temptation are outward, external things, the essence of the temptation is very much inward. A temptation where Jesus would have to go through a lot of internal compromise in order to do the outward actions that are being presented to him. And so for context of this passage, this is the the second of the three temptations or tests from the devil. Uh, After 40 days of no food and probably not a lot of water, Jesus is weak. Jesus is tired. Jesus' body is working against him in the state of hunger, dryness, and stillness. It is a weakened state. And in this weakened state, Jesus is tempted. So we shouldn't picture a Jesus with full cheeks and a a glisten in his eye as he stoically um, and confidently resists the devil like a soldier. That's not what we should be picturing. What we should be picturing is a gaunt man with sunken cheeks and sunken eyes. Someone who can barely stand up and is overcoming temptation because of who he is rather than what he knows. Jesus is giving us hope in this state that if the frail Jesus can resist the devil because of his character, then we can resist the devil and temptation because of who God makes us to be. That's what's happening. And the second temptation will reveal a lot about what his character is. So Matthew 4, 1 through 11, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Bible's in front of you or under you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, just take that one. And if you want to study the Bible together, just email me and we'll set up a time. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. We're focusing on verses 5 through 7 today. So I'll be reading from the NRSV this morning. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered him, It is written, 
One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you do not bash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you fall down and you worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. So, Jesus passes the bread test. Uh, He rejects the notion that bread alone will sustain him in the desert. He redeems Israel's troubled food history in the desert, all of their food woes so long ago by remaining obedient where Israel failed so long ago. And over and over again, Uh, He relies on the words of God. Uh, So test number one is passed. So the devil switches up his strategy uh, for the second test. Uh, His initial strategy was trying to get Jesus uh, with the easy stuff. It just happened to fall flat for him. Uh, So he he takes, uh, this time he actually takes Jesus somewhere. Uh, we, we, We don't know if this is a literal taking or if this is something that is more subtle happening in the weakened mind or heart of Jesus. Ultimately, I don't think it matters, but Jesus is is taken somewhere, but he's not taken just anywhere. Uh, Jesus gets taken up on what Matthew calls the pinnacle of the temple. Uh, The very top of what would have been probably the tallest building maybe in the world, at least in the Middle East. Tallest building, tallest structure in the Middle East at the time. Overlooking the entire city of Jerusalem and looking down at all the pious Jews going in and out of the temple. They're coming in and out of the temple for worship. And Jesus can see it all. And perhaps everyone can see Jesus too. It's, this is a significant place. This is the place of worship. It's the place of worship. In, in ancient times, the, the temple of God, there's three rooms inside of it. And in the smallest room in the middle is where the actual presence of God was. That's where he lives. And so seeing somebody up on the roof is probably going to be a, quite a shock factor. And so people might be noticing Jesus. But uh, these people are going in to worship God. And none of them know that Jesus is the God that this temple was made for. None of them know that. Most of them don't know the true object of their affection and the faith uh, that they have is actually for the guy on top of the building, not just the one inside of it. Jesus was popular with lots of people, but not so much the religious types. The people going in and out of the temple below him are the kind of people um, that would generally doubt that Jesus is the son of God. And so these people are 
scribes and theologians and priests and Pharisees and Sadducees and the ones who have it all figured out. And the devil takes Jesus in front of those people because Jesus can now, with one dramatic action that takes maybe five seconds, he can convince all of them that he is the son of God. It's the temptation to really gain a following. But before we dig into the primary temptation, I actually think there's a smaller secondary temptation that's happening here. Uh, it's, it's a temptation that may be a little bit more prevalent for us than maybe that we realize. Uh, a temptation that happens actually in the back and forth between Jesus and the devil. Unlike the first temptation where the devil simply suggests Jesus do something, the devil applies what he learns about Jesus to the second temptation. And what he learns about Jesus is that Jesus relies on the words of God to remain obedient. And so the devil uses scripture as his new strategy to tempt Jesus. He says, if you're the son of God, then you can jump off this building and angels are going to catch you because the Bible says so. He quotes a part of Psalm 91 to Jesus. It's a beautiful psalm about the protection of God and how God takes care of us. And the devil quotes it to him. And the clear irony here is that he's trying to get Jesus to jump off of a building by quoting a psalm that talks about God protecting us. That's the the irony here. He's, He's twisting the meaning from God protecting us in times of trouble to God will protect you if you cause trouble. He's he's twisting. Do you see what he's doing there? The devil is enticing a Bible fight. It's theologian versus theologian now. It's a biblical one-upmanship. Have you ever been in a Bible fight? You quote one passage that supports your side. The other person quotes a passage that supports their side. Each of you thinking you're doing the Lord's work because, of course, you're the one with correct theology. Facebook open on one tab, Google open on the other tab. No actual Bibles open. It's not like you're arguing from a place of genuine communing with God and actually exegeting scripture. That would be too much to ask. Just social media and some tabs. That's a Bible fight. This This is the lesser of the temptations going on here the temptation to be the theological king of the hill. It's the temptation to use God's words to assert your agenda. To be better than everybody else, to be smarter and more spiritual than everybody else. That's the underlying temptation here that I think we all need to be aware of because quoting scripture is not that impressive. That's what the devil does. He can do it. Quoting the Bible is not that impressive. Using a Bible fight as a way to bring yourself up to the level of Jesus, that's what the devil does. He entices the Bible fight. It's a a pride temptation. And although the actions are outward, the essence of the temptation is very much inward. The Bible fight reveals things about us that don't look very good. It reveals the subtle temptation to be a crusader. So what do we do? Luckily, we have somebody to follow, right? We can follow Jesus. Jesus refuses to engage very far in the Bible fight. And simply, he, he just simply instead 
quotes a small verse of Deuteronomy, the book of obedience. He says, don't test God. And he ends the debate. He ends it. Jesus isn't interested in keeping Bible tabs open to win a fight. He keeps them open because it's more important how God's words shape his character than how they shape the debate. That's the secondary temptation I think is going on here that we should pay attention to. But there is a primary temptation happening. It's the one that you and I are going to recognize just a simple reading of the text. It's the temptation to throw himself off of the temple and be caught by angels, which would prove to all the religious folks down there that the God they're there to worship is actually him. In one swift action, he can convince everyone who seemingly matters that he is the son of God. It's the temptation to gain a following. Being, being caught in midair would be an overwhelming display of dramatic power. Uh, it would be an overwhelming display of divinity. If angels do your bidding, that means you're divine. <laughs> you're God if angels serve you in that way. If angels are serving you, you are divine. The temptation is the temptation of dramatic displays of power. And just like the lesser secondary temptation we just talked about, the essence of the temptation is very much an inward one. Even though it's outward action, the temptation is an appeal to Jesus's pride. Jesus actually does have angels doing his bidding. He actually does. He's God. But the temptation is to show it to everybody. Create a name for yourself. Create a following for yourself. Have people talk about you. Treat you a little differently because of who you are. Show off a little power and show a little dramatic display of God so that you can point back to yourself. That's what it is. This is something that the devil gets very wrong about Jesus. Because Jesus is not the kind of God who is impressed by dramatic displays of power. Not that he can't do it. And there's dramatic displays of power in the Bible and even in Jesus's life. But the kind of thing the devil is tempting him with is the kind of thing that gets to the very root of almost every kind of sin that you and I partake in. The devil is tempting him to elevate himself above God. Elevating the self above God. This is, this is probably not something you walk around every day and say, oh, I, I'm really struggling with elevating myself above God today. That's probably not how it actually works in your life. That's, that's just not the, the wording that we would practically use. You're not trying to usurp God's throne and sit on it yourself. Uh, that's really not kind of how it works. The, the temptation here is actually much more subtle. It's a silent kind of temptation. One that we don't talk about out loud much, mostly because we, we don't have the kind of language for it that we do for other temptations because we really don't know how often or how little we actually partake in it. It's hard to give examples of what it is because like it is for Jesus, It has much less to do with the outward action that you take, and it has everything to do with what's going on inwardly. But the nuance is always the same, no matter what the action is. The nuance is the temptation of making much of God or yourself, not for the sake of God, but for your own sake, 
to get a following, to have eyeballs, to gain a certain amount of respect or spiritual authority uh, from others, to have some recognition that you are indeed a man or woman of God and an inward temptation of pride. This is what Jesus is faced with on the pinnacle of the temple. But let me tell you, you do not have to be on the pinnacle on the highest tower in front of lots of religious people to be tempted with dramatic displays of power. You don't have to be positioned up high in front of the right kind of people to be tempted with making much of God for your own sake. You don't have to have a platform to speak from or have all the attention on you or have any form of authority for people to listen to you because Jesus didn't have any of that for the people underneath him. He didn't have that kind of rapport with them. They don't even know who he is. His ministry hasn't even started yet. The pinnacle is a diversion. Because for the first time in this series, the setting is not important. The setting is not important. The pinnacle is a diversion. It was was an appropriate place to tempt Jesus in this particular instance, but the danger we find ourselves in is thinking that we could never be tempted with the same temptation because we'll never be on the pinnacle of the temple. We aren't the son of God. Why would we? But it's a diversion because the essence of the temptation is inward, even though the actions are outward. It's a character examination and not a behavioral test. Who is it ultimately about? Is what I'm doing ultimately about making much of God or making much of myself? And we all struggle with this and the nuance is so fluid and hard to nail down. But in the moment, I would, I would bet that we probably know what's going on. It's the hardest of the temptations to talk about because it requires the most self-examination. It requires the most discernment. It requires us to understand that just because we aren't on the pinnacle of the temple of God, ready to showboat a dramatic display of God's power, that it doesn't mean that we can't be tempted with the dramatic, of the pride of elevating oneself above God. So we've seen how Jesus was tempted with sustenance how uh, of living on something that wasn't the very words of God. And we saw how he combats that. He remains obedient where we fail. And we've seen how now how he's been tempted with the dramatic of gaining a following, also uh, with being the theological king of the hill. And we see how he combats that. He, he quotes the Bible because it shapes his character rather than how it shapes the debate. He doesn't use it as a weapon. He doesn't submit to testing God by uh, accepting a forced miracle. And next week, we'll see how Jesus is tempted with another kind of power. The devil is going to take him to the place where important things happen. He's going to take him to a very high mountain. And we'll see how he combats this third kind of temptation. For now, let's pray together and we'll take communion. Lord, we come before you and we ask you 
We ask of your Holy Spirit to examine us, help us to examine ourselves. Help us to be people that understand that we don't have to be on the pinnacle to be tempted like Jesus is tempted. He is tempted how we are tempted. We thank you that you have set him before us as a forerunner, as somebody that we can follow for a godly life. Lord, we love you and we ask for the grace to love you more and to be shaped more into the image of your son, our savior, our brother, and our friend. We love you in his name. Amen.